the things we tried to do during COVID was put a couple of principles in place. And the core principle was, was let's make sure we do everything to take care of and protect our associates and our customers. Forget about the P&L, forget about everything else. That was a core principle we use. And once you have that core principle in place, it enables you to quickly make decisions that are in the best interest of our, of our associates and customers. I think that culture matters. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever. And highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkus. Mike Thielman of Albertsons, thank you so much for being with us. So I'm going to jump right in. You majored in physics in college. How did you wind up in human resources? Uh, This is not the first time I've had this question in my career. I asked myself the same thing. Like literally every intersection in my career, I got connected with somebody as part of a project I was working on as an actuary. So I started my career as an actuary. And then working on a project there, I got connected with a, a client did a body of work for this client under this very tight supervision of a senior partner. This person reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to come run their compensation function. And so she took a major risk on me. She was a fantastic leader for me to develop under. I was super young in my career. I was, uh, I don't know, 15 months out of grad school. She was fantastic. Just at, at every turn, she was, she was exactly what I needed to, to push me, to call me, to redirect me and forever thankful for that. Having had someone who took a risk on you, have you paid it forward, so to speak? Have you ever taken a risk on someone to bring them into the HR fold? Anybody you hire that you've, you've gone through an interviewing process, however thorough you may think it is, you don't capture everything in an interview process. You just, you know, people are putting on their best. We all put on our best when we're being interviewed and you don't capture everything. And so there's always risks when you're bringing people in and just understanding those risks and then really making sure that you're close to those new hires early in their in their maturation, because they are not going to come with a whole toolkit that you expect in a role, especially if they haven't been in the industry before. I think giving people great opportunities to grow is one of the most important things you can do as an HR leader. Now, let's go back in time a little bit. Especially when the pandemic was in its early days, supermarket workers were literally frontline employees. How did you keep your associates motivated and get them to keep reporting to the 2,200 plus stores during that uncertain time? I think at the core, this industry, and I'll say industry, and then I'll talk specifically about Albertson's companies and our banners, we we serve communities. You know, if you think about what we do each day, we're seeing a lot of our customers three, four times a week. And there's not a lot of industries where you see your customers three or four times a week. I mean, the airlines know me pretty well, but they don't know me personally, right? Because I'm never seeing the same people because I'm always on different flights. But here, our frontline associates know a lot of their customers. They've watched their kids grow up. They've helped get things to their homes when they couldn't get things to their homes because they didn't want to come into a store because they were elderly. 
And so they're really the, the heroics on the front line, I think, is anchored in. They want to take care of their customers and they care so deeply about their about their communities. And if you think about the way a, a, a grocery store is staffed, it's mostly right within three to five miles or where most of our folks come from that, that serve in that store. So they've got a connection to that community. It's their neighbors that they're taking care of. It's not some strangers. That's their motivation. Their motivation is to serve. Their motivation is to to take care of people. You know, we've got pharmacists, over 3,000 pharmacists in our company, and they want to take care of the health of, of that community because they care so much about communities. We raise money in our stores and all the money we raise always goes back into that community. It's not being exported somewhere else. It's going back into that community. So I think that's the magic of our kind of business is it's so community anchored in everything we do. I can see how that community focus would keep the workers motivated, the ones who are going there every day and seeing those same people week after week after week. But we know that many retailers are having trouble hiring new help right now. So my first question is, has Albertsons experienced that? And if so, what are you doing to offset the shortage? It is using media. It's using relationships. It's using technology in terms of as we, we get talent into the top of our funnel. How do we get them through our process more quickly, but also assess the fit more quickly and, and more accurately using technology and using data. It is helping people get skills that they don't have today. And that could be, this could be your first job, but it could also be, we can teach you how to be a, a pharmacy technician and help you get certified. And that could be a career path for you or, or part of a career path onto something else. I think it's all of the above. We have to do all of the above. This isn't just putting a sign on the door and hoping people come. This is using every attribute, every initiative, every avenue we can to get talent, both coming to the door and then getting them excited about to, to work in our industry in one of our stores. So you mentioned using technology to get people into the funnel fast and through the funnel fast. Tell me more about that. What kinds of technologies are you using and how is it improving the candidate experience and helping you hire as quickly as you need? We're using some third-party software that is very AI-enabled to help us take candidates and assess them without a human touch. And we're not the first company that's doing this in America but I think we're doing it in a way that we're learning from it so we can get better and better at it. So how do we make sure that we're not wasting candidates' times if they're not a fit for what we're looking for? And that could be in a store role or that could be in a distribution center role. We're using virtual reality in locations to really help with onboarding. And I think we'll push that further upstream as part of our assessment process where we can put them in a, in a simulation to see what the job would actually be like. Because the, the biggest challenge for a business like ours is when we hire somebody and they either don't show up or we hire somebody and they show up the first shift or maybe the first couple of shifts and then they don't show up again. And that's not good for them and that's not good for us. It's not good for our customer experience. And that's the biggest part that we're trying to hone in on is the stickiness that somebody's going to stay with us for six months. Everybody doesn't have to stay 60 years. We've got lots of people that have been here for, for long, long periods of time. But having talent come in, especially in a store or a distribution center, that's just literally a pass-through and creates that churn and disruption is, is not good for anybody. So what are some of the things that you're trying right now to retain those employees who are worth retaining? How are you getting them to, to stick with Albertsons? I think they, first off, need to know you care, right? And I think the things we tried to do during COVID was put a couple of principles in place. And the core principle was, 
was let's make sure we do everything to take care of and protect our associates and our customers. Forget about the P&L, forget about everything else. That was a core principle we use. And once you have that core principle in place, it enables you to quickly make decisions that are in the best interest of our, of our associates and customers. I think that culture matters. I think the second thing is if you've got a great store leader, you generally get talent that wants to be there because they connect to that leader and that leader connects to them. And, and I've been in so many stores in my career and I've been in multi-location retail my whole career by and large is you, you find a great store leader and you have a great store. A great leader in a store builds a strong supervisory team around them and they really connect with people. So I think so much of it is about culture. Yes, we got to be competitive on pay. We got to be competitive on benefits. We got to be competitive on, on how we bring people in and ramp up their capabilities so they are successful in the job, not just they're serving in a role where they feel like nobody cares about me. They haven't even helped get me trained and ready to do this job. And for a lot of people, it's their first job or it's the first time they've reentered the workforce in a long time. And they're nervous about that. And we've got to help them by making it fun and easy and exciting and make it a, a friendly kind of process for them so that they, they want to come back the next day and they want to learn more and they want to start feeling confident in their skills whereby they can go home and say, hey, I, I really made an impact today and I really learned something. That's really important. Yes, that is also a motivating factor, certainly. If you feel like you are learning something new every day and you're growing as a worker and as an individual. So I'm sure that is a technique that is really keeping people sticking with Albertsons. Albertsons owns Safeway supermarkets and Safeway recently introduced remote controlled delivery carts to bring customers' online orders to their homes near some California Safeway supermarkets. How do the, the human food deliverers feel about this? It was a pilot to learn. It, it didn't displace any jobs. It didn't impact our, our teams. But I think they had fun with it. For those of, the, of us that grew up watching the Jetsons, it's maybe a little uh, Jetsons-like. And it helps us to kind of imagine the, the future of food delivery, which is changing quickly, right? If you think about where food delivery is today versus where it was two years ago or five years ago, it's a whole new world. And if you think two, three, four, five years out, it's probably going to be a whole different world than it is today. So it's a pilot. We'll, we'll do pilots to learn from and, and understand what it takes to actually be successful with these kinds of pilots. But it doesn't always mean we're going to scale that. We may use that learning somewhere else in our business. Are there any other pilots that are upcoming that you're able to talk about today? Or if not, what are some of your predictions for how food delivery and the grocery business in general is going to change in the next few years? People are now figured out that convenience and their time really matters. Part of that is they got that reinforced during the pandemic. And I think that's why streaming really took off in, in a big way. And certain, certain streaming applications and other apps really took off in a big way. They gave people kind of an entertainment value they couldn't get externally by leaving their home. I think food delivery will continue to evolve. I mean, you know, people are talking about drones and they're talking about tortoise-like devices to, to bring food delivery. I think it's going to be multidimensional. There are people that still want to shop in the store. My wife and I prefer to shop in the store. She's a dietitian. She wants to put her fingers on every piece of, of produce she's going to use. I like going to the stores because I just like, I, I, it's a, to me, it's a fun experience. You get to talk to people. I generally talk to just about everybody I meet. That's just who I am. And you see some newness. You always want to see newness that, that maybe you don't see, or at least historically haven't seen as much, you know, using a, an e-commerce channel. But I, it, this is a rapidly, rapidly, rapidly changing environment. I think data, big data, 
and the data sets that the companies like ours and others have is going to influence that because we're going to be able to further personalize use cases for, well, let's just say for diabetics, how should they shop a store and how can we help them get the right nutrition that they need as a diabetic? And it's really interesting to hear you say that because obviously the personalization aspects goes beyond just health restrictions. There are also religious restrictions in terms of how people eat. There are so many constraints that people are operating under when they order their food and when they pick up their food in the supermarket. So I'm curious, do you think that will impact whom you hire and how you hire them so that they are attuned to these individual shoppers' needs? I'm not sure it'll impact who we hire because we hire broadly today, but I think it'll impact how we help them be prepared for it better than they are today. So how do we help them understand nutrition in a store as well as online, right? How do we help you shop a store if you've got certain dietary requirements or medical concerns or advice from a dietitian to really help you shop a store. So how do we help them shop a store either in person or or online that's going to help meet their their own personal use case? That's the fun of this business. As as you think a grocery store is just a grocery store, you put stuff in the back door, goes out the front door, job well done. It's much more sophisticated and technologically driven than that. It really is so interesting to me to hear about how going to the supermarket can become such a an individual experience and that Albertsons will be training their employees to better help individuals and help them with their individual needs. But I do want to go back to online shopping because we can't deny it. It exploded during the pandemic. So because of that, have there been certain areas that required extra hiring attention? And how is the company addressing this digital hypergrowth from a hiring and retention perspective? I'd say at the store level, we weren't big into the e-commerce. We were, at, we were at the very beginning of our scaling of e-commerce in stores between delivery and what we call Doug, uh, drive up and go. So come to the store and we bring it out to your car. We were at the very beginning of that. We were not scaled when the pandemic hit. And that was a big opportunity for us and a big need. And luckily, we, we had brought the talent in to be able to do that. So I think just getting that efficiency and efficiency is, yes, there's a cost about the efficiency. But if you're going to be able to get a door, an order out the door the way the customer wants it to be, you've got to be really efficient in how you process an order, how you pick an order, how you pack an order, and how you deliver an order. Just building that muscle and bringing in the talent that knew how to build that muscle was really important, both at our corporate teams who are building the, the digital tools, and then also obviously in the stores where actually the work is happening. It's fun to hear you talk about Doug too, drive up and go. And it sounds like the program was in place, but as you mentioned, it wasn't quite scaled to the level that you needed for the pandemic need. What lessons did you take from that? Is there anything that you are now preparing for because of what happened with Doug and the need to scale so quickly? Part of this was the pandemic. And I think part of this was the shifting nature of of customers' shopping habits is we can go a lot faster than we think we can go. I think that's the core for the, for the culture of our company is we can go faster. We need to go faster. We can take more risks than maybe we were accustomed or comfortable taking pre-pandemic. Pandemic taught us we had to make 100 new decisions a day that we'd never made. And we had to adjust them each day to make sure we got them right based on the, the medical counsel we were getting, the direction of the federal government agencies that were involved. And it really taught us that speed mattered in a big way. And I think when we are up against some companies that are in the pure play digital 
they're going fast. And we can't say, well, we can't go fast because we've we got this big company we're running in all these stores. Those are all additive to us. The fact that we have stores and distribution centers and capability that some of our competitors don't have is a, is a net positive for us, not a lag for us. And I think it enabled us to think more quickly, move more quickly, take some risks. And if we got something wrong, we, we'll go fix it the next day, You know, kind of learn fast, fail fast, and then go back and take another crack at it until we get it right. I love the idea of telling your whole workforce, we can move faster than we think we can. How do you help ensure that everyone on the team has that mindset? And also, how do you hire for that mindset that they can move faster than they think they can? Communications are obviously important during a pandemic just to keep people informed. I think they're also important when you're trying to create a culture. And if you're trying to create a culture based on innovation, based on speed, based on you know customer centricity, focused on kind of delighting customers and enabling our frontline to kind of do what they came to this business to do, which is take care of customers, like bring their magic to work each day, right? At at, at the core, so many of our frontline, they want to help the customers because again, as we started, it's their community, it's their neighbors. And I think that's so core to what we do as a business and what we do as as individuals. And so I think the the communications piece to this is, is huge. And I think that's communication that's coming from their district leader, that's coming from their division leader. And that's one of the beauties of our business is we've got these banners and we've got teams that are out focused in their specific, you know, businesses and their communities. And they know those communities better than anybody because they've worked in them, they've grown up in them. And I think that's a big benefit for our business. Can you tell me more about how HR is working closely with the communications team to make sure that you are in lockstep about making sure the employees have the mindset that you need? We're on the Teams platform with Microsoft. We use that really heavily. We are upgrading our HR technology platform to a cloud service on Oracle, which we'll have uh, up and running here by the end of the year, which will give us another platform to communicate but it's also getting things out to our divisions that they can use with their with their store teams and their distribution center teams to really make them feel like they are part of something. We recently just did a, our second associate experience survey. Some people call it an engagement survey to listen to what's going on on a handful of questions so we can understand where we need to help them better. And communication always comes back that they want more communication, which is great. They want to know more about where we are, where we're going, how can they help. What's in it for them? How can they improve? What kind of jobs are available for them? So it's always great feedback for us to continue to grow up. So with retail evolving so quickly, just like almost every other industry, how are you keeping up with the changes and making sure you have enough of the right people? I spend a lot of time on talent, a lot of time on talent. We've brought in north of 70 new leaders from the outside of the company in the last couple of years. And it was in places where we just didn't have that muscle and we didn't have have enough time to try to develop that muscle internally. So we went and got people that have, quote, seen the movie before, knew how to scale things, knew how to build uh, tools and capabilities we didn't have. But I think that's just part of it. The other part is really leaning into development of people, whether it's leadership development, it's performance management and getting people feedback. That was a new muscle for this for this company in the last couple of years to, to build on. And we're, we're on that journey. And it's going to be a, a long journey to get there. But really investing both monetarily, time, content, feedback in our leaders that they're prepared as best they can be to lead in the future. I'm always wondering about how managers can evaluate someone's skills when they haven't held a similar role before. How are you coaching team leads to 
identify the transferable skills that work from one position that seems seemingly unrelated to the kinds of roles that you have open and are really in need of filling right now? Well, we're using a competency model inside the company. We, we just started that in the last year. We're also using some external assessments. We went through a, a realignment of a chunk of our business, our, of our division and corporate where they kind of intersect. And we use an outside assessment tool and organization to help us with that. So we'll just use the best tools to solve that specific problem as we build kind of the muscle that we need ongoing around developing talent, building capability, getting feedback, acting on feedback, setting good goals, being a very diverse and inclusive organization and culture. All of those things are works in progress and they'll probably never be done. They're just going to be a work in progress forever. You're always trying to improve those things. And if you had to pick one piece of advice to give other retail HR leaders for coping with fast changes and really important customers that you see every day, what would that piece of advice be? I'd say just surround yourself with the best talent. Talent's going to win this game and not having it is not going to allow you to be competitive in this game. But I think Getting and acquiring great talent is super important, but even more important is developing and holding on to the talent you have in, in, inside of your business today. It's nothing like I've ever seen before in terms of what's going on in the marketplace for, for the best talent. And you've got to, you've got to invest the time. I, I, I spend probably a quarter of my time on the outside looking for talent on the outside at, at senior levels to bring into the company because I think it's just so paramount to what we're doing. And the rest is how do we spend our time in developing and and coaching the talent we have and identifying the talent we have inside the company. But I think talent is so important and you have to have an environment that's conducive to onboarding that talent and and helping them be successful and pairing them up with people that know the business so both sides can kind of learn from one another. So, you know, I kind of think about HR as, as a combination of being really great at talent and really curating a great culture for that talent to to thrive in. It sounds like learning and development is such a big deal right now to talent in terms of retaining them. What would you say is going to be the next frontier in how to retain and grow the people you have within your organization that you'd like to stay with your organization? I think giving them more and more access to more things that are going to kind of pique their interest, build their skills, allow them to try some other roles and pivot. You know, I think there's a fair number of people in, in most companies that, you know, they, they've, they've kind of taken a career path and they want to stay in that space. I think having the courage, both us as leaders and the individuals to say, hey, I'll go jump across this line and go try something I haven't tried before, knowing that if it turns out that it's, it's not the right fit for them or for the business, we've got a safe landing spot. And I think that's really important for us to bring bring together the amount of talent that's come in from the outside and infused with the talent that was here today is how do we kind of make one plus one equal three? Now, I know I didn't learn that in my physics classes. You know, my, my old professors would be mad at me for saying one plus one can equal three, but I believe in, in, in culture and talent, one plus one can equal three. That is a great equation if you ask me. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the talent economy today. Really appreciated the conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkiss. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.